Episode three. Episode three. Here we go. All right, babe. Well, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm excited to be here with you. Something about doing the podcast sort of pauses everything else. <laughs> you know, it's like this, like it's we were flying by the seat of our pants on most days, just like a rocket ship and doing the podcast episodes gives us a moment to not be doing a million things. I think it gives us a time to, this is our little space. We don't have to think about anything else. We can just be right here. It's like I meditation. Mean, yeah, honestly. Yeah. So we're going to so, talk about you a little bit more this episode because yeah. last episode I took up a lot of space. As you should. Which I do. At times. Hey, thank you. So here you go. So The last episode was great, though. We thought it was going to be about you and me, but then when we got into it, it's part of what we're learning when we're doing podcasts. We're, we're podcast rookies and we learn. It's You're nice. a rookie. Whatever. I'm not a rookie in anything I do. Well, I am a podcast um, rookie at making my own podcast. Oh, okay. Anyhow, yep. You're not a rookie. I'm a rookie. I'm not a rookie. You're a rookie. Anyhow, we're about to start this episode. So this right. episode is about me. Yep. And that and means you have to I interview know, me. I, w- I want you to tell us about your upbringing a little bit more. Or any, because I, I think I, like I said last episode, had no idea I had so much to say. And I still got more. But I'm we sure gotta, you do. But we don't have enough film to talk about all the stuff I want to talk about yet. So, and I want to share the space. So, Celia or Wallace. Yes. Tell us about your upbringing. Okay. <laughs> that was a long lead in to the question, but yes. Okay, awesome. Well, also, when we're thinking about telling our stories of our upbringing, it was in relationship to Los Angeles and to our family and to, you know, eventually South Central. So I think it's interesting. We wanted to share more about our background because people know us in relationship right. to our current, you know, accomplishment and main purpose around, you know, the South LA Cafe ecosystem or the Slack ecosystem but if you unpeel the layers and understand our journey of what got us to where we are now, everything makes so much more sense. You go, oh my gosh, of course, of course, this is what they're doing at this. Of course, this is where they landed. Yeah, exactly. Their life. So. And so I definitely think in general, you know, people don't know that much about me. And, you know, as as a clearly a white woman in the middle of South Central, there might be a question mark of, how did I end up there? <laughs> what am I doing here? You know, what's her story? What's her background? Mm-hmm. I'm very aware of that. Um, and so I do think it's good for people to know where I came from, you know? So I'm wearing my Pico shirt today. When I decided to what to wear for the recording, I was looking through my stuff and I threw on the Pico shirt. And then as soon as I put it on, I was like, oh, that's fitting because, you know, I grew up in Mid-City in Los Angeles. Near, and near. Pico, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, peak, uh, by the, um, what's it called? The Mid-City Shopping Mall, right. where world, world on Wheels and all that stuff. So my parents are community organizers. My dad came out of the Black Liberation Movement. My mom came out of the Women's Liberation Movement. They met in a sliding doors moment on a vacation in uh, Cuernavaca, Mexico. They fell in love, literally, you know, in one week, they they fell in love and, you know, reunited by their passion. It for... made you that week. No. Oh, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. 
No, no, they did not. <laughs> this is where you listen Sorry, to the story. Go, go. <laughs> so no, they did not make me that week. Okay. My dad was there with my older sister, Lisa, on, on a trip because he was only getting her a few weeks out of the year as his visitation. My mom was there on vacation with my grandmother who had just divorced my grandfather. And so she was transitioning in her life at that point. So both of them were there with other family members, but they met in a hallway in Mexico. And over that week, you know, they fell in love and uh, they went on to have this amazing, you know, love affair united in their passion for justice and advocacy and activism and, they are now, you know, 50 years later and mm-hmm. still they, fighting the cause. They're still fighting the cause. They're still, they're lifelong organizers, lifelong um, advocates, lifelong activists, all of that. And so for me, when I grew up, that's the family that I grew up into. That's my family of origin, two parents who basically dedicated their life to justice. When I, the first thing I can remember as being a little kid was being at, you know, rallies with my parents, you know, with Diane Watson and Cesar Chavez and, you know, um, you know, all of Maxine Waters, you know, up on the stage, you know, fighting for these causes and my parents being a part of it and me being there and pick with my picket sign, you know, at three years old, you know, I like to say I was sort of born with a picket sign in my hand. Um, and, my parents were part of the United Auto Workers Union. Mm-hmm. They decided to work there as on the assembly line, both of them on the assembly line, so that they could organize people into the union so that they could fight to keep the plants open, which does in many ways weave into the South Central story. Because when we talked about your story, right. we shared about this sort of moment in history where it was this thriving South Central community, mainly because people that had jobs, you know, people had jobs. I mean, it's this like thing that people take for granted, but guess what? If everybody has a job, then they can probably support their family. Right. And, you know, so, but the, one of the jobs, the main jobs that people were doing are manufacturing jobs, working in things like the auto factories. So my parents were involved in creating the unions in the auto factories so that we could keep those auto factories open because what was starting to happen in the eighties was they were starting to close down and go overseas. Right. Right. And so those great paying working class jobs that were supporting our local economy were going away and overnight people were starting to get become unemployed and without work. And so what was this little three-year-old doing all that time? Like what, what was happening with you during what were you, where were you, where were you in this? Were you were, you you were saying you were, picketing with them? Yeah, no, I'm saying I literally grew up in this. So my parents would work in the factories and then at night they would have all of their different community organization meetings. They're part of a lot of, you know, communist socialist organizations, multiracial organizations that everybody would bring their kids to um, as childcare. You know, little Celia organizing with the little kid. (laughs) Go, I'm mess with you. Go ahead. No, no, no. I mean, I grew up in this community of all these people that were committed to this work, whether it was international politics, national politics, local politics, it was all about fighting for people's rights. And so that's a big part of who I am. You know, that's a part of my story. And I grew up in mid city, Los Angeles, and I've been in LA my whole life, pretty much, you know, I went to 
Carthay and then John Burroughs and then uh, Fairfax High School and then UCLA, you know, and then the People's College of Law where I ended up getting my law degree. Right. So I'm again activist with the People's Hall. Right. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Yeah, for sure. So I know all this. I've heard all this, you know, like I know it. But to hear it again, it's just amazing how that connected. Keep going. I'm sorry. Not about me, Joe. No, this is when you ask me a question. Oh, I got questions <laughs> for you. I can keep going, but you could also ask a question. So what was, what was your relationship to South Central? Yeah. I mean, basically, um, I grew up in a predominantly black and brown community. Um, I was in mid-city Los Angeles. My um, The work that my family was doing was rooted in communities of color um, with, you know, a whole coalition of, you know, people working on different issues. And so basically that would take us from mid city to South central to San Pedro to Wilmington, you know, all Mm. over Los Angeles. But, um, you know, my life was spent predominantly up and down, you know, the 110 freeway, you know, or, you know, when my parents were working with the United auto workers, it was in Van Nuys, but predominantly my formative years and going into middle school and high school, was spent predominantly in communities of color. And so I think that um, for me, it was a unique upbringing where I grew up in a family where we talked about white supremacy and um, racism and, you know, um, the police state, you know, uh, black liberation. Like those were conversations we had every night at dinner. Um, Which now is the the popular thing. You know what I mean? You you know what I mean? But. Yeah. Back then you guys were doing it before. before yeah. Well, it's like the newly woke white folk, you know, yeah. it's like everybody right now is having a moment or the, uh, honestly, it seems like the moment has passed right with right. George Floyd's murder. We saw that it woke up the world and then it seems like everybody went back to sleep like a year later. Right. But they're not was, completely sleep there. They're there. You are still stages of sleep. They're laying down. Are now. They in R- they're starting R- to lay down. Okay. Their eyes are not completely closed, but they're closing. We're trying to keep them awake. Yeah. Well, anyways, what's interesting, what was interesting for me in that time, and we're advancing now to, you know, sort of current day 2020, was all the people that were awakening to white supremacy and to the police state and police brutality and oppression, almost as if it was a brand new concept to them. You know, they took a class, they read a book, they saw a movie and overnight, you know, they're social justice warriors. And part of what I was trying to explain to them, or I've been trying to figure out how to navigate this and figure out whether, what is my actual role, Mm -hmm. you know, because some people would say like, we need people like you talking to those people or like activating those people. And then other people would say like, we need white people to be doing less centering. And even though you're great, like we would prefer you not take up that space. And there's somebody else that's a person of color that can do that work. Right. And so there's a lot of nuance that, you know, are things that I'm constantly exploring, but I know in that time, one of the things that I felt was, Hey, I grew up this way. Like this is not new concepts to me. Right. And yet what I've learned from my upbringing is that, um, because white supremacy is part of my DNA, I'm, I'm literally been born with it in my blood. There's nothing I can do about that. That is the truth. Right. And so therefore, Keep it real. right. And so therefore, um, and when I walk out in the world, 
with you, with the girls, the second we walk out of our, our house, which is in South Central, um, I'm relatively safe. Obviously I'm a woman, so I'm not safe in that regard, but as a white person, I'm relatively safe, um, of being attacked by the police, you right, know? Right. Um, but my husband and my kids, by the fact that of, of the color of their skin, they go outside and they're not right. So there's the consciousness that I have of that, that I carry all the time with me of like, even, um, just to get back to what I was saying about the white supremacy running through is that's something I'm aware of. And therefore there's times and moments that I will show up in ways and say things that are based in an unconscious bias, right? They're based in mm-hmm. the, this whiteness in my DNA that my conscious version of myself would be like, I don't believe those things. I don't think those things, I don't want to be that kind of person, but I'll have these moments every now and again, where I'll have enough awareness to go like, I don't know, you might need to check what you just said. That sounds like that wasn't the right way of showing up or you're taking up a lot of space in this room with mm-hmm. a lot of other people here who haven't had a chance to talk just cause you have a great idea. You're I all- struggle with that with you though, by the way, I, I don't want you to, to like be small. Right. I want you to do it. It's a, it's, it's a catch. I, I hear you. This is your story. Go ahead. No, no. I think it's good to have the reflection. I mean, I know it's something we've talked a lot about over the years. Um, and it's, I think it's interesting to see also the way this conversation is going, that we have rerouted <laughs> it right into the race conversation, right. which as you know, is honestly one of the places that I spend most of my time because my right. studies through my life because of my upbringing took me through all of that. You know, when I was in junior high at John Burroughs, I led a walkout, you know, against the Gulf war. Like I, I went to meet with the principal. I had my whole plan. I called the media. I had a committee of people, a multiracial committee. We were all working together, but we have these photos, you know, black and white photos from, and they're not black and white because it was black and white then, but the actual photos are black, black and white, white, you know, of us, literally breaking out of the school of the school with the whole crowd of students, you know, running out onto the, like you're in prison, breaking out. Well, no, it was, yeah, it, I, I know what you mean. You walked then, out. And then we have me, you know, talking to the press and all that kind of stuff. This is me at 12, 13 years old. This is your upbringing. Yeah. And then you go into me in high school and it's like at Fairfax, um, you know, we, at that time it was in the early nineties, you know, there was a lot of like, um, black, brown tensions mm-hmm. and things happening. So myself, along with a group of, you know, again, multiracial coalition of people, we started a group called Alliance, Alliance, not Alliance, but Alliance, where we basically went classroom by classroom and talked to the students and said, Hey, do you want to come in at lunch and let's sit together and let's, ha- let's unpack these conversations that we need to have about race. Right. So how old were you then? Well, that was high school, you know, 15, 16 years old. Um, And like I said, I grew up predominantly in communities of color and my friends were predominantly black and brown folks, you know? So I walked this really interesting line that I still walk today, you know, living in a, in a predominantly community of color, which is I am an ally. I am um, sort of from the community. I have been embraced and brought in and accepted and loved in these communities. And yet I carry privilege that nobody else does. Right. Right. And, uh, and so, and And often mistaken for not white. 
Yeah, but I think that's I think just, that's just your, I, you could tell me more about that, but I think it, it's, it's about your upbringing, which is what you're talking about. It, um, what comes out of you, I think, and I think I know is the culture you right. are, you have a South Central culture. So anyway. Well, no, no. I think that I think that's a. I mean, I think all of this is weaving together, so we can take the conversation wherever it goes. But I think that's a good point. People would say that about my dad too, right? Like your dad isn't your dad black, you know, or mixed or something like that. And I think. Or no, I had that happen today. What about you? About me? Mm -hmm. Lady from Louisiana, and said, "Isn't she from Louisiana?" (laughs) Wanting to put you in that as the Creole. You know, but right. Well, everybody says I remind them of an auntie that they have somewhere. But the thing about that that I'm trying to unpack is, well, why is that? You know, um, even our girls, our girls will be like, I can't believe that people think that, mom. You're like, you're clearly white. Like, right, what? Right. Why are they thinking that? And so I've spent a lot of time trying to understand why do people think that? People think that about my sister also, right? My my sister. Melinda, the two of us grew up together, so we had a very parallel existence in this mid city to South central life, you know, that we've done for the last 30, 40 years. Right. But where I'm getting to is because we've been so blessed to be primarily welcomed and held by these communities, which I tell people all the time, I'm like, in my own experience, the black community is the most welcoming community there is. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're not a freaking jerk, you know, at like, and just a good person, you'll be fine. You'll be fine and you'll be welcomed in. And so right. that's been my experience is I've been embraced and I've been welcomed in. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm sure there's people that are not happy yeah. I'm there and whatever. But the point is because I've spent so much time in the community, um, both my upbringing, but now with you, we've lived here together over 20 years, right? I have, I do understand the culture, right? I don't understand the culture because I'm not an actual person of color, but I understand as a visitor who have lived in a community for most of my life. And I picked up on a lot of nuances, right? There's things that I will never know and never understand, you know, which is true. But at the same time, there's things that only somebody like me would know or understand because of the time, the seasoning, the, the, the work. Right. And it's not just living here. It's being involved. It's being involved. And it's also living a life of active anti-racism. Right. Right. So it's not just being passive and saying, I live here, but then I get to go around the world and just be a white person and show up in spaces (laughs) and do whatever I want. It's saying my parents, my upbringing, I come from a multi-generational, not just my parents, but I come from a multi-generational community organizing family of ancestors. I also come from ancestors that were slave holders, right? And how many white people do you have that say that? Right. You know, just say, like, let's let's say let's the keep f- let's real. keep it real. Yeah. Go down the lineage, there's gonna be people in my family that held slaves, right? Go down my lineage on another side of the pathway. There's people in my family that were um, persecuted in the Holocaust, you know? So I have that nuance of sort of the oppressed and the oppressor in me. And because of that, and the way I was raised up, I was raised to actually look at that, know that, speak that, and, you know, and own it. Right. And so here I am now in spaces where people, where I was trying to get to it, both about my dad, my sister, myself is, I think, because the majority of experiences that people of color have had 
with white folks in general is not always so positive. Right. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm speaking out of turn because I'm speaking as if what I've heard people say to me is, and therefore maybe there's code switching or having to show up a certain way or having to have your guard up or, you know, whatever. Right. But then when you're around someone like me and you go, you're just feeling comfortable and you're just being yourself (laughs) and you're not, and, and I'm talking and interacting and saying stuff and you're going, this is like, it's not, it's not that you're not thinking I'm white. It's just, you're thinking this is somebody that I feel comfortable talking to and they don't, I don't have to be on guard. I don't have to be afraid. I don't think they're judging me. I don't think all this kind of stuff. So that's, I think where people go to, oh, she must not be white because right. I haven't really met a white person, you know, like her or, you know, anyways, right. this is, I can't speak for people's thoughts, but right. this is part of what I'm saying. So all of that to say, that's, uh, that gets me to South Central, but now I've lived here with you. You know, we, t- we talked in episode one about, you know, uh, our relationship and how we met and how we fell in love. Yeah. And, you know, in the early 2000s, you know, we bought a home and have been living in South Central five blocks away from the cafe. For... 20 plus years. years. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. And so, you know, I always say I'm a, well, I feel like a welcomed guest, you know, here. And I'd love, I mean, I love South Central, like the shirt you have on right now. I love South That's Central. That's the theme of today. Yeah. I love South Central. Um, and I feel really honored to get to live here and, you know, South LA Cafe uh, which we will get into in further episodes about the birth of South LA Cafe. But just to say, getting to birth South LA Cafe with you five blocks from our home has ended up being this amazing experience that's brought together all of the threads of, your- of, of life, you know, and I didn't even mention, you know, when I went to UCLA, I st- my primary focus and study was world arts and cultures and sociology with an emphasis on intergroup conflict and prejudice. And so the concepts of intersectionality, um, you know, just- which, you know, obviously Kimberly Crenshaw, you know, created a long, long time ago that again, people now are like, think it's a hot buzzword or whatever, but that was what I was studying when I was in college was intersectionality, but also the way that you utilize those concepts in terms of how people interact, how people communicate um, through different like race, religion, gender, mm-hmm. all of that. So that was always my passion. And that's what I learned to do is put people into circles, small circles of groups and have the hard conversations. And you now know, people are going to know at work why we have our meetings that way. Right. The circles. Yeah. The the circles. circles. Yeah, absolutely. So, and then, and then, um, ultimately my final, you know, going to school at the people's college of law was also, you know, I wanted to get my law degree, but I also wanted to be in a school that was rooted in social justice and civil rights and created opportunities for people who could not get into law school, which was not my case. I could have gotten into a traditional law school. Well, you did accept it, right? To Loyola or something? Or did you apply? I didn't even apply okay, to other okay. law schools because I wanted to go to this law school that had this rich history and tradition 
of creating accessibility, right? The, the concept is if you're an immigrant, if you're someone that doesn't have a degree and you want to become a lawyer and go to law school, not just those two populations, but I'm saying right, right. oppressed populations, populations with less privilege, there's all of these barriers to get to go to law school. But the school that I went to, the People's College of Law, makes getting a law, law school education accessible to people no matter what their circumstances were. So by me choosing to go there, it was almost so that I could study the school. Right, instead of... And yeah. study the organization and the history of the organization along with getting to study, you know, the actual law school degree. So all then, of that is to say... pregnant in the middle of it, I remember. I didn't get pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get pregnant. We wanted to get have it, a baby. It, I remember, I, sorry to cut you off, but it, it, I remember the one of the professors saying, uh, 90% of our graduates, before they graduate, the females end up having children. So I was like, did you manifest that for us? Or did we plan it like that? But anyway. We definitely planned it. I mean, yeah. God blessed us with, um, you know, what did they say? You make plans and God laughs, you know, but in this regard, it seemed like God liked our plan and went yeah. along with us and we had a baby when we wanted to, but yeah. I just, I put that in there cause I just remember the, how hard it was for you. First to first trimester and second trimester studying and going to, so I remember that, that association. So that was, that was me bringing it up. Sorry. Yeah. When I sat for the bar, I was <clears throat> having nausea and throwing up the whole time. Oh yeah, that's right. When I went to actually I do my test. Yeah. So anyhow, so that's pretty much about me. And I just would like to say as far as South Central that I just feel so blessed to get to live here and now to get to live this dream of South LA Cafe in our backyard, in our neighborhood, um, being surrounded with a community that has been so loving and um, accepting of me. And then to do the cafe and have literally like the same experience where, you know, of course, I'm sure like everybody, there's going to be people that have their opinions about me or think the things that they think about me. And I understand that I, I, I have enough space. You receive that. Well, I don't that, receive it in. No, I mean, but, but I, you accept it. Like it's going to be a part of this. Understandably yeah, so. Yeah. I mean, me personally, I'm, you know, I feel a lot of conflict about outsiders or white folks, you know, in South Central. Like I'm not a big fan of gentrification. I'm not a big fan of folks coming in that are not from here and displacing other people out of our community. But that's not who I am. Right. I am a white person. I do carry the privilege. I understand that people might just because of that have issues. But as far as being a gentrifier or being here for the wrong reasons or being new to the neighborhood or like all of those kind of things or not understanding the culture, like that doesn't. Yeah. And being and not just being a, of a different color or different race makes you a gentrifier. People got to understand, got to understand that where the gent, what I see and I'm now adding my pieces in here. Sorry about that. Um, gentrification is when you come here and, you know, and no matter who you are and you try to just like push the other people aside that are here, that's when I get bothered by it. If you came here and you got behind, let's say the, you, you want, you want humps on your block. Well, grandma down the street 
has been trying to get humps on the block, you know, little bump things so people would slow down for 10 years. She doesn't have she doesn't have the resources. She doesn't know how to do it. You come along, you've been working for the city. Matter of fact, you probably work in that department and you come in and you just bump her out of the way and get humps on the street. That's when it bothers me. See, and that's, that's a good, that's a good okay. story that you need to save for the episode that's okay. called The Gentrifier's Guide to South okay. LA. Gotcha. So we got to make sure we put that in um, season, yeah, right season now, one. Make sure. No, I'm make saying sure. we need to make sure we do that in our one of our season one episodes um, because I already have the outline for that. But um, so what's some of your, what's some of your, from all that, from all this life that you've lived yeah. in South Central slash Mid City, Mid City slash South, South Central, what are some of the key lessons or takeaways from your life that you can give to the, to our audience? Yeah. Well, I think in our next episode, we're going to oh, talk about- Oh, you keep saying next episode. The, the, you, you can't mean, interrupt me okay, when I'm sorry. talking. Go, 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 go. This is when you listen to the oh lessons. Oh my God. She's going to teach me how to interview. Go. Yes, I am. Go. <laughs> Are you going to learn? <sighs> Therapy yes. is a good thing. Go. We have that next yes. after this recording. Yes. So just hold your, hold your frustrations for the therapist. I don't have any. I don't have any. That's a lie. That's why I looked down at this paper. Go. <laughs> what I was going to say now, which I can't even, you hate it when I interrupt you because you lose your lose thoughts. And so you but need you're to, good at it. You don't lose your thoughts. They come back to you so quick. Okay. So pause then. And let me try and remember what I was saying. You were talking about the lessons and what I was going to say in our next episode, right. we are going to share our professional backgrounds and what got us to the point of being ready to do South LA Cafe and that we are not an overnight success because of everything that we did that led up to that. And one of the things that I will share in that in more depth is my background in life, business and spiritual coaching. And so because of that, one of the things that I do in that is help people figure out their purpose and one of the things we do is we look at your whole entire life and we start to look at the themes of threads that you can pull all the way through. And so to your point of what are some key takeaways or lessons that I can share with those who are listening is that your life has meaning right. and purpose. And this is my personal belief is that you sort of come in who you are. You're good enough. And you come in, you're good enough, you're whole, you're mm -hmm. worthy. Life intervenes and throws a bunch of junk on you and you go through traumas and tribulations and all of that. But underneath all of that, you are whole and you're worthy. But you also come in, in my opinion, with a bit of a blueprint for your life, your personality, your what you're going to want to do and all of that. And you can go back to your earliest days and start to very early start to see personality traits, right. interests themes. And so for people who are like still going like, I don't know what my purpose is. And this is making me think we need to do a podcast episode on finding your purpose. <laughs> but, you know, I like to explain to them, like, look at the themes through your life and you will see, even if you haven't yet put that into a profession, uh, 
you can start to realize what you're prone towards, what you're strong at, where your your as I would say, your zone of genius is. So for me, I, I take I'm key. just reading it. I'm seeing it. I'm like, well, all the little pieces that put that built you from being three years old, five years old with the picket sign. That's all. And I'm probably giving you a punchline. I'm sorry. <laughs> led you to to what we're doing with Slack. Amen. Amen. Drop, Drop the mic. The mic. <laughs> It's a wrap. Hey fam, if you're hearing this message, you've listened to the entire episode of the In The Mix podcast. And for that, we want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We hope you enjoyed this new episode. And if you did, please take one minute to hit the subscribe button to catch all future episodes. And then please give us a five-star review. Also, if you want to support our Black and women-led multiracial movement to fight social, economic, racial, and food inequity, please head to our website, southlacafe.com, where you can become a monthly member, sponsor groceries, volunteer, buy merch and coffee, and make a tax-deductible donation. Sending you lots of peace, love, and blessings from our family to yours.